Well, today what we want to do is, is look at one of the greatest missionary achievements ever. This is like a phenomenal thing that what God did. And the uh, reason I want to tell it and share it, because in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 9, it says, Only be careful and watch closely uh, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart and, and as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You know, we, we know in the Bible there's a lot of amazing stories of what God did, and we're supposed to repeat them to our children continually over and over. But after the end of the book of Acts, there's a whole lot more stories that have happened down through the past several thousand years. And I know a lot of our children don't always get all of those stories. Amazing things that God has done. What a part of our ministry is just to build people's faith up that God is still alive. He's still working. He's still doing amazing things, transforming uh, communities, uh, counties, nations. And uh, so that's what we're teaching. That's what we're going to be teaching this morning. And because I uh, because we have written uh, almost 30 different stories, amazing stories of what God has done passed down through the past couple hundred years. You can access them on our website. And uh, we're going to be looking at one of those stories uh, today. But the thing is, when I look at these stories and when I see what God has done, it reminds me of Habakkuk 3, 2, where it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. I want to see God do the same thing now that he has done many times before. He's totally able and competent and capable of doing it. And the thing is, he's waiting for us to get in alignment with his plan and purposes. Do we believe it's really possible? I know it is possible. I've seen it in my own life. A revival took place on the USS Barry when I was in the Navy. I've seen it in Indonesia. I've seen it during the, the Jesus movement in the 1970s. And over a million people uh, were, were come to Christ in, in just a several years here in the United States. That's not including millions that have come that came to Christ in Europe and, and in Africa during that same period of time in the 1970s. Pastor Deal was born again during, during that revival movement. So I know it's possible. Many, many of you have, were living through that time period, but you have seen that there's been a, a slump, a decline has, has gone down per, through the past 30 or 40 years. And a lot of the young people today, if you're like 40 years and younger, a lot of sometimes even 50 years and younger, you have not really even witnessed a move of the Holy Spirit. You might have gotten a touch of God. You might have seen a little bit here and there, but you never really seen God move powerfully uh, that transforms whole communities and states and nations. And we're going to be looking at that. And as we get started, uh, there may be some people in here right now that you don't really believe it's possible. You haven't seen it. You might have read story, but yeah, it's just a story. You read it in the Bible, you gotta just, that's, that happened a long time ago. It can't happen now. Well, God's going to touch your heart today. He's going to warm your heart. There might be some of you in here, you've been a Christian a long period of time. And during this time period that, that you've been a Christian, you've grown colder and colder, and your, eye, your heart is like ice. God's going to place his hand on, his ba on your back this morning. He's going to place it on your chest, and there's going to be a warmth that he's, that's just going to take place in between there. Now, iciness is going to thaw. Some of you have callousness that has grown over your hearts. You've grown complacent, indifferent. You've continually pushed God away. You're not responding to him. You know, when he, when he nudges you to do something, and you say, oh, maybe later, maybe later, maybe later. And after a while, God just turns his face away, and he backs up 
and he, and he turns away from you and he lets you live your life on your own. And so you get this hardness that grows over your heart. And so when he does ever tries to speak to you again, maybe through a sermon or, or maybe a scripture, and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. You pick up your Bible and you, you look at the, the, the words on the paper and it's just ink. It doesn't have any meaning to you. Whereas when you first got saved, you, you opened this book up and it was like, wow, I didn't know there was this there. And he had to go tell somebody, hey, did you know this says this, this, and this? And you were just excited and thrilled about it. But as it is now, it's, you don't even open the Bible up anymore. You might be a person like that. Well, this story that I'm going to show you and tell you about it is, is, is going, to, going to transform your life. It really will. God's presence is here to bring that transformation today. Not something that can, is going to happen tomorrow, the next week, or next month, or something like that. It's today. Today is your day. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a time for a renewing and a refreshing to come, to, come, come into being right now. This Korean revival that took place in the city of Pyongyang in 1907 is what we're going to be talking about. You say, where's Korea? Well, here we are in Indiana. Straight across, there's the Korean, Korean Peninsula. Here's Japan, Australia, China, and Russia is up here. So that is Korea. Now, in 1907, that was one nation. It wasn't divided like it is into North and South Korea as it is today. And we were looking, this, this is Pyongyang. Uh, President Donald Trump has had uh, communications, a lot of communications, trying to stop the threat of nuclear war in the past couple of years. And it seems like there's a little cooling off going on, but there's that threat there because the northern half of uh, Korea is communist right now. But at this period of time in 1907, uh, there were very few Christians, relatively very few Christians. The Koreans had kept the missionaries out. They would not let them come in. If a missionary would try to come in, they would kill them immediately. They would not give them any leeway whatsoever. No discussions. Same way with any, uh, anybody that would come to their shores. Because the Koreans saw what the Americans, the Europeans had done. They go to these other countries and they colonialize them. They dominate them and they take them and they strip their country of all the resources. That's what had happened to many, many countries around the world. And so the Koreans didn't want that to happen, so they kept everybody out. And they were isolated from the world. Well, until Japan came in and, and, and forced their way in and it started creating a lot of problems and they took over Korea. And so when Japan, this is Japan Island over here, when they came in here, the missionaries started trickling in. In the late 1800s, some missionaries started coming in along, and a few Koreans, they, they, they came to Christ, but they didn't really understand what they was. They were more Christians out of curiosity than anything else. So there were a few churches scattered around, and, but there wasn't a lot of Christians at this time. And the Presbyterians, they had this uh, building here in the city of Pyongyang, a central Presbyterian church. And this is where the revival started. In 1906, uh, in, in August, the, the, the Presbyterians and the Methodists, they got together and they started praying. They said, we need to see a move of God. Because the, the Christian leaders in Korea, the, the Koreans, they, 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 they just weren't understanding. They just weren't grasping what this Christianity was all about. And so what they did, they, they, they started praying from August until uh, January. They, they were praying, interceding. Even during the Christmas season, they didn't go to the Christmas celebrations. They were just praying consistently, say, God, we need a breakthrough. Korea needs a reviving to take place. So it was... So, 
what what the uh, Presbyterians did in this building was uh, in, in January they would they would do an intensive training two weeks of intensive training all day long they were just having Bible school to educate these people they were some lot there were 1500 men that came together here and they they were already positioned as uh, pastors and elders in different churches around Korea and uh, so they were coming there to train and so this is the calendar of January 1907. So they started on Wednesday the 2nd, and it went through here, and it went through another week. And then on the 12th, a Saturday, uh, a man by the name of William Blair, this is him right now here, a Presbyterian missionary, he preached. He preached a sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, Now are you the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, here in the United States, we're individuals. You come home from work, you push on your garage door button, you drive up into your driveway, you pull into your car or into your garage, and you push the button and it closes behind you. You don't talk to your neighbors, you don't even know your neighbors' names. You know, that's just the way we are here in, in, in the United States anymore. And, uh, and so we're isolated. We, 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 uh, we do our own thing. The thing is, when you come into the church, the body of Christ, you're not an individual anymore. The thing is, we still keep thinking like an individual. A lot of the other countries in the world, they're a collective. They like wearing uniforms at schools and even in jobs and in businesses and even in the government. They all wear uniforms. Uniforms are everything because they want to be a part of each other. They want to be part of the big family, the overall family. Whereas here in the United States, we don't want that. We want to be separated. We want to do our own thing. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. How would you guys like to wear a uniform to you all the time? Nobody, nobody would like that. I mean, I, I wouldn't either, okay? The thing is, when you become part of the body of Christ, you're no longer an individual. You're part of the collective. And whatever you do affects somebody else. So if you over here are tolerating a sin in your life, you have a pet sin that you enjoy doing it, you know God has been dealing with you, but you just keep pushing God away. But, and what it does, it affects them over here. And you that are committing sin here affects those over there. And it just, it's, you're part of a collective. Whatever you do, whatever you say, it either builds up the body of Christ or it weakens it. And that's what uh, William Blair was teaching through uh, that sermon there on that Saturday uh, in uh, the, the 12th of January of 1907. And the Koreans got it. They understood it. They had a new realization, an understanding of what sin was all about and, and how it hindered and hurt their work in the ministry and how it, it was breaking down relationships and families. It, it is very detrimental. It's, sin is pervasive. It's like a yeast that, that just saturates and penetrates everything. And so when they got that, it was just overwhelming to them. The next night, it was Monday, the 13th, and when they all got into the church building that night, it was dead. It was just absolutely icy. It was like there was no presence of God. It was demonic oppression. They could just sense it. And, they, and, and after they got through the evening, they don't say, uh, they, uh, they, the, the next morning when they woke up, they, the missionaries got together and they said, we have to pray because we don't know what that was. Why was there such an oppressiveness, a darkness that it had settled on upon that 1,500 men that had gathered together? So at noon that on, on the... 
14th, they began praying and interceding, said, God, break this demonic power. We only have two more days. The, the last night is the 15th. And we, we ask you to come and break this power so that your presence would be sensed, felt, recognized. So then on the, on the 14th, at, in the evening, when, the, when they all started trickling back into the building, it was a, this is the, the report of, of that missionary, William Blair. He says, that evening each felt as he entered the church that the room was full of God's presence, impossible of description. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the presence of God before. I, I know every, different people have different definitions and explanations of what that really means. Like, I do uh, pastor prayer summits, groups of pastors in different counties. And it was a few weeks ago, we did one up in Coldwater for Coldwater, you know, the Branch County, Michigan pastors. And, and, I, and I, was teaching on this, I was teaching on this actually. And uh, I said, what do you guys say? Uh, uh, what's your definition of the presence of God? And there's all different denominations there. And there's all different definitions, you know, and understanding of, of, of what the presence of God really meant. But when I say the presence of God, I, re I look at the Bible, and I, I say, what does the Bible show when God's presence is manifested? We look in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel was so overwhelmed because of the presence of God that he fell on his face, and he, he didn't have physical strength to stand up anymore. His whole body was trembling and shaking. And, 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 he, and, and he said in his own testimony was, I can hardly breathe because the presence of God is so strong. And... Uh, that, that, that is what the presence of God will do. Sometimes the presence of God is terrifying. I know some people say that they've experienced the presence of God. It's like God just took their, his arms, just wrapped them up in a blanket of love. You know, that can happen too. But there's other times it's, it's a terrifying thing. And the scriptural evidence of that is in Isaiah chapter 6. You read that when Isaiah had, had a vision of God and it was so terrifying. He was scared and he saw nothing but his sinfulness. And he saw that he was interacting with people that were sinful. And it was just a, a terrifying thing for him. Scared to death. I have experienced that. You get petrified when you're in God's presence at, at that magnitude and level. Well, when they came back that, that Monday evening, that presence of God... It, uh, this guy by the name of Mr. Lee, he he, after a short message, he invited people to offer prayers. And so many people began praying that Mr. Lee said, if you want to pray like that, everybody pray, all pray. And the whole audience began to pray out loud. All together, the effect was indescribable. Not confusion, but a vast harmony of sound and spirit. A mingling together of souls moved by an irresistible impulse of prayer. The prayer sounded to me like the falling of many waters, an ocean of prayer beating against God's throne. How many have been to Niagara Falls? Okay, a bunch of you. And some of you might have been to some other waterfalls as well. Thing is, when you go there to a waterfall, you don't hear a single drop of water hitting. You hear a roar, don't you? It's just a solid, deafening roar of water. And that's what happens in, in uh, times when a lot of people are praying all at the same time. And most American churches don't pray this way, but uh, the, a lot of the Asian churches will pray this way when you say, okay, let's pray about this particular thing. Everybody just stands up and everybody just starts praying out loud, really loud, and it's a roar. You know, it, it's just a, a, a overwhelming thing. Like some of you might get scared if you'd go to a church service like that, but it's common in Asia and in Africa and in other countries. But it, you, in the United States, we're kind of reserved, individualized, and, and we 
we don't like to unite into the collective and, and, and lift our voices as one in prayer to God. But that's what happened right there. And during that night, this man by the name of Gil Sionju, he, he stood up and confessed to having stolen $100. This was the first graduate of any Bible school uh, in Korea. And he says his sin was like the sin of Achan, blocking the Lord's blessing. And after his uh, confession, man after man would rise, confess his sins, break down and weep, and then throw himself to the floor and beat the floor with his fists in perfect agony of conviction. Sometimes after a confession, the whole audience would break out in audible prayer, and the effect of that audience of hundreds of men praying together in audible prayer was something indescribable. And so the meeting went on until 2 o'clock a.m. with confession, weeping, and praying. And the missionaries stopped the meeting right there at 2 a.m. It would have kept going on, but they were scared. Uh, they, they, were, they were concerned about these men, that they were so overwhelmed and overcome by the presence of God. They thought that they would hurt themselves physically or even spiritually. They, they had never seen anything like that before, so they were scared themselves, and they didn't know, know what to do, so they just stopped it. So I wanted to show you through this the effect of one person's sin, because we saw here this man stood up, because the night before, on Sunday night, it was cold, it was dead, and oppressiveness came upon the congregation until he, he had confessed this sin Here's how sin will affect a congregation. When Achan, the son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Now, if you can remember the story of the battle of Jericho, there was orders from God that nobody was supposed to collect any of the spoils of war. When you go into the city, nothing there of any value you're supposed to keep for yourself. It's all supposed to be turned over for the temple, the tabernacle, the, the worship of God. Well, one man by the name of Achan, he kept some gold and he kept some Babylonian garments for himself and he hid it away in his tent. And uh, what took place next was that they went to the, the, the nation of Israel, they went to the next city and they got defeated in that battle. 36 men died. And then they were just distraught. They'd go, God, what's wrong? Why, why, did, why, why did we get defeated? And God, and, uh, and, and uh, Joshua was laying on, the, on his face, you know, weeping before God. He says, get up and stand up like a man. There's sin in the camp. Somebody has committed a sin. And that's why uh, you were defeated. And that's why here it says, it wasn't just Achan that committed a sin with those things that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. That was the, every piece of property of any value in Joshua, and wrath of God came on the whole community of Israel. That's how sin can affect a congregation. Here, the Israelites were unfaithful, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. That's in reference to that sin of Achan. Now, here was one man that sinned, yet God's anger burned against the entire nation of Israel because of one man's sin. You say, well, that doesn't sound fair, but that's a consistent pattern in the Bible because the nation of Israel was a collective. 
And it's the same way in a church. The church is a collective. And whatever one person does, it affects the other people. That's why there's this cooling off that is taking place in the United States right now. There's just this, this rising level of sinfulness and immorality that's taking place. And it's overwhelming. The churches are declining. Churches are closing. Pastors are leaving the ministry. It, it's a very discouraging, depressing time. But that can all be turned around. And it gets turned around when we as Christians recognize what's taking place place. The only reason that immorality is rising is because we as Christians are buying into it. It would not be, uh, uh, be spreading and, and rising up if we weren't pulling out our wallet and paying for that stuff. It's, it's coming from us. It's the Christians that are, that are condoning it. Here's some other examples of uh, how one individual's sin can affect a large number of people. The sin of Adam affected the entire human race. Anybody understand that story? Every sin, the sin of Adam has been transferred down to the human race. Every child that has ever been born is born with the sin of Adam inside of them, inherent sin. And the Bible says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. So just as one man's sin brought sinfulness into all of us, one man's obedience to God is bringing us freedom and deliverance. And that freedom is for us today. Here's another example. Saw the sin of Adam, the ten spies. When the nation of Israel was ordered by Moses to go out and spy out the land prior to them going into the promised land, uh, they, they went out and they, they brought back a, 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 an evil report, the Bible says. They were disobedient. God told them to go. And uh, they said, it's too big. God, they didn't believe that God was able to take them in. And so because of their evil report, the nation of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the desert until about several million people died because of 10 people's sin. Do you see the collective work of sin and, and how it, how, now you might be having a particular thing in your life going on that you've been tolerating for a long time and you think, oh, it's just my personal sin. It's not affecting anybody, but it is. It's hurting your family. It is hurting the congregation. It's hurting the body of Christ at large. It is very destructive. It's like yeast. It just, it just fills in and, and saturates everything. David, uh, he, because of his pride, he wanted to take a census to see how large of an army that he could raise up. And because of that sin, God judged him and 70,000 Israelites died because of that, because of that one man's sin. I think that's very well illustrated that sin can affect a lot of different people. Here's William Blair. This is on the final night as we go on. Now, prior to the, what took place on that Tuesday night, the, the previous night on Monday, one of the individuals that stood up to confess his sin was a man by the name of uh, Kong, Mr. Kong. He had a hatred towards another. He was a pastor. Kong was a pastor, a Korean pastor. And Kim was another one of the Korean pastors. And, and Kong hated Kim. He just, he had this thing in him. He just, he just couldn't deal with, couldn't put up with him. And, uh, and uh, Kong, he stood up on that uh, uh, Monday night and he confessed that sin and he wanted to reconcile with Kim and Kim just kept his head down. He didn't want anything to do with it because of his hatred in his heart as well. And so that next night, 
Tuesday night, the final night, we see the, the understanding of the power of reconciliation. There might be some people in here right now that you are not reconciled with somebody. There's, you have these differences and this friction that's going on, whether it's in your family or maybe it's in this congregation right here. And there's just some people that you cannot and you refused, up to this point in time, you have refused to get along with them. Well, this, what took place, will show you what God will do once we reconcile. So when they came back into the building on this night, this is the testimony of what happened. Well, let me back up. Uh, when they came in there, this, was, this is the testimony of William Blair, the missionary. Um, he says that, Kim was, during the service, he, he was so overwhelmed with conviction of the Holy Spirit that he came up to the front and he says, I've been struggling against God. I have hated Kong and Kong has hated me. But it's worse than that because Kim confessed, he says, I hate all the missionaries too. I just, I just, they're, they're like bossy, you know, they just, they just had a, uh, he had a bad time with them. And he says, and I can't get it out of my heart. I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it, and it just, just won't leave me. I need, somebody, I need somebody to pray for me. And he turned to William Blair and he says, will you pray for me? And as William Blair came up to, next to Kim and, and he began to pray and he only said two words. And he said, Father, Father. And right when he said that, it seemed as if the roof was lifted from the building and the Spirit of God came down from heaven in a mighty avalanche of power upon us. I felt like Kim sighed and wept and prayed as I had never prayed before. My last glimpse of the audience is photographed indelibly on my brain. Some threw themselves full length upon the floor. Hundreds stood with arms outstretched toward heaven. Every man forgot every other. Each was face to face with God. I can hear yet that fearful sound of hundreds of men pleading with God for life, for mercy. That is what happens when the presence of God comes. It's a terrifying thing. But this is God's mercy being extended to them. And he went on. Then began a meeting like the which I had never seen before, nor wished to see again, unless in God's sight it is necessary. Every sin a human being can commit was publicly confessed that night. Pale and trembling with emotion, in agony of mind and body, guilty souls standing in the white light of that judgment saw themselves as God saw them. Their sins rose up in all their vileness till shame and grief and self-loathing took complete possession. Pride was driven out, the face of man forgotten, looking up to heaven, to Jesus whom they had betrayed. They smote themselves and cried, with, cried out with bitter wailing, Lord, Lord, cast us not away forever. Now you might have been, uh, received this teaching that uh, once you become a Christian, you can do anything you want and, and God doesn't see it because you have this blood covering. But the thing is, let's say my wife commits a sin and she's got the blood of Jesus covering her, but I know she committed that sin. So does that mean that I have more knowledge than God because I, I know of her sin, but God can't see it? So that's lunatic. That's, that's the erroneous theology. 
It's wrong thinking. God knows when you commit a sin. And he lifts his favor off of you if you allow sin to live in your life. If you don't repent from it, you lose out on his blessing and his goodness. It's not going to be poured out upon you. And when you continue in unrepentant sin, it, is, it affects the entire congregation. It affects a community. It affects a state. It affects a nation. Here we are getting all political and saying, God, you know, God, you know, send a change. You know, we want this change in our government. We want that change. Well, it starts right here in ourselves and in our congregations in our church. It starts at the grassroots. You can't change what happens in D.C. until it happens right here. So this is the power of reconciliation. When Kim and Kong reconciled, the power of God fell. That's what we have to see happen. And the scripture says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, here we go to Indonesia, we go to Dominican Republic, we, we do ministry, kids club, uh, all kinds of other types of ministry, and it's supposed to be to see souls come to Christ. Well, if we have things in our own life and we're not reconciled with other people we've left another church hard feelings and bitterness and, and we can't talk to other people from other churches and we whenever we speak of a pastor of another church we we have bad things to say what's well, going to just pour water on the fire of the holy spirit it's just going to extinguish the working of god it is so important this reconciliation but when it happens God's spirit is poured out and that's when souls get saved you know a few years ago there was a ministry called time to revive from Texas came up to uh, Indiana Northwest Ohio or Northwest Indiana and uh, that that wasn't a revival that was an evangelistic event a very powerful well-organized evangelistic event but if you would go to Fort Wayne right now and try to find uh, churches that have been significantly impacted and have grown because of that, you'll be hard pressed to find any that would say, yes, you know, uh, there is a, a significant move of God. I'm not saying we should ever curtail evangelistic efforts, not at all. We should continue to press forward in doing things like that. But until there's a real reviving that takes place in our lives and we deal, deal thoroughly with sinfulness and we deal thoroughly with reconciliation, that they, these evangelistic efforts are going to be greatly minimized let's look and see what dealing with sin like those Korean believers what they dealt with and the reconciliation that was made let's look at the results of what can take place in Korea churches began to be planted everywhere and they grew rapidly revival started in the universities this is following that reconciliation and that confession of sin Many sensed the call of their lives to become evangelists and missionaries. Early morning prayer became typical of the Korean believers with up to 10,000 gathering at times and place. If you know anything about Koreans, that's common for them. The churches come together early in the morning and they pray. People walked hundreds of miles to attend revival services, any kind of Christian event that was going on, because there wasn't many churches at times, so you have to travel a good distance to, to go to churches, and persecution from the Japanese increased, but the church continued to grow. The, then the, the emperor was like a god to the Japanese, and if he didn't bow to the emperor, they would kill you. So a lot of Christians lost their lives at this time. A lot of the Koreans lost their lives because they refused to bow in submission to the emperor. 
In less than six months, 30,000 were converted to Christ and joined churches. By 1911, there were 200,000 Koreans. By 1912, there were 300,000 Koreans. Today, the largest churches in the world are found in Seoul, Korea. They're actually the largest churches in Assemblies of God Church with over 800,000 members in it. You know, you know, in our minds, we think 800,000, you know, we... we the average church in the United States is 70 people. You know, when you think of 800,000, you can say, how, how can that be? But that's Korea. And it's because of this revival that started in 1907, and Koreans have just continued to grow. And there's more. Koreans have sent out over 10,000 missionaries. The Korean churches have become a remote role model for around the world. In language school, and my wife and I was in Indonesia, the majority of the students were Koreans. These are all Koreans, except there was a couple, there's an Australian guy there, and there's an American guy right there. This is a Korean couple that my wife and I would hang out with from time to time. So you can see that God began a reviving work back in 1907, and it kept moving forward and forward and forward and spreading and pervasive throughout Koreans. You know, you go there, that's just huge, huge churches. Even in the United States, when the Koreans come here, you know, you could go to some places, and the Koreans are just passionate for Christ. You have a fill-in-your-blank page there. The first one is extraordinary. These are the lessons that are learned from that revival. Extraordinary prayer initiated the revival. There was four or five months of missionaries. So it was only like 20 missionaries that, that came together and began praying, seeking God for revival. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a handful of people that are passionate for Christ to break this demonic uh, grip that is keeping the church of Jesus Christ in the United States in a state of complacency, apathy, and lethargicness. We need people that are filled with the Spirit of God to, to continually pray for this a similar revival to take place in the United States. The second one is uh, the entire congregation is affected by sin. And the third one is unwillingness to reconcile, forgive, or, bit or harboring bitterness can, can block the moving of the Holy Spirit. What I'm going to do, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now. have a time of prayer up here. We're gonna, I'm going to ask those, those of you that have been pursuing God for revival. You've been seeking God. You, you're, you're hungry for something like this to happen. I've seen these, these moves of God happen before. Some of you have, may have seen them back in the 70s, but it's been a long time. And if anybody like that, you've been praying for a revival, praying for change to come. I want to invite you to come to the front right now. We're going to be praying together with you. Anybody like that would like to come? You've been praying for revival. A significant move of the Holy Spirit that would move in the church and stir our hearts and awaken us so that new evangelistic power can be filled. We can be filled with new evangelistic power so that when we preach, there's a change that happens in the people that we share that gospel message with. There may be some other people in here that you've been struggling with a, a particular sin in your life, and it's like a, an addiction, and you want to be set free, and you've tried repeatedly over and over and over and over again, and it's just like it, it just won't be broken, and you want it to stop. Well, this is your day. You come up here, we'll pray, and that thing will be broken today. 
You don't have to go on anymore with that thing. Whatever it might be, it can be broken. Your ice, maybe your heart is like ice. You know something's wrong. You've been living this, this, this Christian life out, and you're trying to put on a show for other people, but you know yourself that your heart is like stone. And you say, God, I want a heart of flesh. You remember the times when you used to open up the Bible and it was like living words. They were breathing and it would be like the breath of God blowing into you. And you couldn't help but share that with somebody else. And you want that back again. We want to invite you to come up. Come up and, and experience that freshness, that renewness. to leave without getting complete and total deliverance, freedom, a refilling of the Holy Spirit. But for, and if you all back there would like to stay and continue to pray, you're welcome to do so. But if not, I'm just going to close in prayer right now and you're, you're welcome to be dismissed. Father, we thank you for speaking to us today. We thank you, Lord, for what you did back in 1907, a powerful move that saved a nation. Many millions of many millions of millions of people were born again through what you did, through just a simple confession of sin, turning from the sin, a simple reconciliation, Lord. Who knows how many millions, not only just in Korea, but throughout the world through the missionaries and the work that has been done, have been born again and brought into your kingdom through that. Father, awaken our real understanding and, our, and help us to perceive and to recognize how important it is to live pure, holy, clean lives. Father, I ask for your favor to rest upon New Hope Christian Center. We want to see this congregation become a, a city set on a hill, a light shining in darkness. We want to be a testimony to other churches in the community that revival is possible. So I ask you to go with your people today with a fresh filling of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, you that are down here, you, you all are dismissed. God bless you all.